0: Good morning. So glad you're with us today at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And we hope that you feel welcome. If you're new to us uh, or you're not with us a whole lot, we're so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, what a joy to have you, whether you're here on campus or whether you're watching online. Either way, we're so glad that you are joining with us, gathering with us uh, for the service today. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, and I well, I, I have a feeling you feel the same way too. This this whole mask thing, this whole virus thing, it's kind of old, isn't it? It has run its course. Um, do, you, do you realize we're four months into this deal? Just four months, you know, just a little, just a little bit of a disruption of our lives, right? Just a tiny little disruption. Four months, no big deal. Four months. Never walked through anything like this uh, in the church world, in life. um, I told my daughters the other day, you know, girls, you will always remember 2020. (laughs) You'll always remember 2020. And I prayed, and that's even with an assumption that things kind of go back to normal. In fact, we use this language like a new normal because things may not be like they were ever again. We don't know. It's just crazy. We've had to adjust, we've adapted, we've made change, Uh, we're enduring. I was praying that as we were singing, Lord, just continue to help us to endure. Um, I thought about the early church, you know, when the persecution happened, and they don't know what's, what's tomorrow going to look like, what's next year going to look like, what's 10 years from now going to look like. They didn't know, but they were holding on to each other. They were making Jesus known everywhere they went. They were spreading the gospel of Jesus, and God used that, didn't he? he used that difficulty, he used that uh, persecution and that difficulty to get his message around to the world. Everything's changed for us, you know, and I use this word, and we're gonna talk a little bit about it today, and the word is disruption. What is it like when something disrupts your life? And it's a pain. It wasn't on the list. It wasn't on the bucket list. It wasn't a part of the plan. Uh, you ha- it's something that stops you dead in your tracks and you go, oh my gosh. Now what are we, like, we gonna do? You know, it's one of those deals. That's what this season has been. And maybe you've walked through a season like that in your own life where you've had a disruption, something that's caused you to just have to stop dead in your tracks and weep for a while and and start over, rethink, replan. See, the thing is, is in in Ephesus, where we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, he has been faithful to preach the Word of God. He has been faithful uh, to give the gospel to people who needed it. And the truth is this morning that we're gonna talk about is that the gospel of Jesus is a disruption in our lives. It forces us to make a decision. The gospel forces you to make a decision, to either say, yes, Lord, I surrender and I wanna obey. This is, this is a disruption, I've gotta deal with this thing in my life, this sin, these idols, this issue. And one choice is to surrender and obey. And yet the other choice is to get angry and protest. What? Come on. And we've seen a lot of that uh, even in the last few months, maybe in our own lives. So, last week we talked about the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. We talked about the fact that he had started this sort of a, uh, one of the first examples of sort of a ministry institute, discipleship institute in Ephesus. It's going really, really well. We're seeing new churches planted, missionaries sent out. Uh, we're seeing amazing things happen. In fact, there's miracles taking place that are accompanying all this ministry and all this stuff that's going on. And maybe the coolest thing we saw last week is the power of God coming together. People are bringing uh, the sinful things that have, that have removed them from the Lord. They've separated them from God. There are these books. There are these uh, occultic uh, papers and things that, that, that they've trusted in, and they're bringing them to the fire and they're burning them, and they're saying, Lord, we wanna, we wanna confess our sins, we wanna be honest about who we've been and what we've done, and we wanna honor you with our lives. And it's this beautiful movement of God. And so Paul, very naturally, like most ministers maybe, might go, okay, good, all right. Things are, you know, my work here is done, right? You know, Paul was a, he was a fire starter. That's what Paul was. He liked to start fires. He liked to get things going. God had called him to start fires all over Asia, Europe, different places. He would start a fire, and and once the fire was going pretty good, all right, I think I can go start another fire. He was in the mode of this fire's going pretty good over here. People are confessing their sins. I mean, we're having amazing success. The church is going well in Ephesus and other places. We've been discipling people here for three years. I think maybe I can move on to another location. And then he ran into a disruption of his schedule, of his plans, right? And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. So clearly God is moving. He's doing amazing things in Ephesus. And uh, I, was, I was looking at this. I'm not much of a science guy, but, I, you know, the, the third law of Newton, Isaac Newton, is that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. You heard that, right? For every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, for all the movement that God was causing to take place in Ephesus, in towards the kingdom, towards life in Christ, towards surrender, towards obedience, towards amazing things, right? There was an opposite reaction. The culture of Ephesus was feeling the movement of God. Uh, The the evil culture especially was feeling the presence of God. And, And in fact, some of these guys, are, that are making these items. Remember we talked about the, the worth of all that was brought to the fire was 50,000 pieces of silver uh, was the worth of some of the stuff that was brought. Well, the guys who make that stuff are going, huh, they just threw that away, huh? And they're thinking, well, they're probably not going to buy more, right? Now what are we going to do? See, business was bad. The, the economy was feeling the presence of God because it was an evil economy, and people were not only getting rid of the stuff they had, they sure weren't getting more. And the gospel was making its presence known all around. So we see Paul kind of going, okay, this has been a good season, but, but I've got plans to move on. So just for a couple of verses here, I want us to jump into Paul's plans and see what was on his heart before he runs into the trouble here we're going to look at today. Paul's plans, Acts 19, uh, verse 21 through 41, if you got your Bible with me, with you. Verse 21 says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul's made his plans. He's proud of what God has done. He's ready to move on and start another fire. And then something hits the fan, so to speak. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that sometimes we have plans. Sometimes we, we have a desire to do something and we believe you're with us and we've worked it out in the spirit, Lord. We believe you're allowing it and yet we have a disruption. God, this, these last four months have been a massive disruption in our lives a massive disruption in our country. And yet, I'm praying it, Lord, just as you use this disruption in Paul's life that we're about to look into, God, that you would use this disruption in our world, in our country, in our lives for your good. That we hold tighter to you. That we cling closer to our families, Lord. Lord, that you help us to know you more and love you more, be more intentional, and that we come out of this refiner's fire shining God, knowing you and loving you more. Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, you would help us to glean all that you'd have us to learn and know from it. And God, I pray that by the power of your precious Holy Spirit that you would lead us to all truth. God, that I would stay out of your way, that you would help me to decrease God now and that you would increase in our understanding and learning of your word and, and make our hearts obedient and submissive, Lord, not angry and, and, and full of protest, But God, may we submit to what you want to do in our lives as a result of the disruption of the gospel. May our answer be yes, Lord, whatever it is that you ask. We give you this time in your word, in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen. That sounds good. All right, so Paul's pleased with what's going on in Ephesus, and he wants to move on. He says he's going to go to Jerusalem by way of Achaia and Macedonia. Now, you can't, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us unless you look at a map. Let's look at a map real quick and see how, why that sounds kind of crazy. Ephesus over here on the right hand side of the Aegean Sea. This shows Paul's third missionary journey, the aqua color to Ephesus. And he says he wants to go to Jerusalem, which is way down there, bottom right. By way of Achaia, which is where Corinth and uh, Chantrea, Athens, that area is, is Achaia. And Macedonia, Berea, Thessalonica. (laughs) Either Paul's really geographically challenged, right? Or he's got a plan of some kind. He wants to get to Jerusalem, but he's got to make way this way. See, the thing is, is Paul wants to take an offering for the poor church in Jerusalem. He wants to help the brothers and sisters that are struggling with great persecution. Isn't this cool? this shows the heart of Paul. This shows, I mean, this is not like a, this will take us an hour or so, it'll be out of our way, but we'll be back on track. (laughs) No. This is a major deal. And I don't know how long, weeks, months, a year, I don't know how long this is going to take Paul to go out of his way to get these offerings from these churches so that he can support and help them, sort of the mother church in Jerusalem. But that's his plan. Uh, He even says in Romans, he says, that it's kinda what the Greeks owe uh, those brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem brothers and sisters have given spiritually to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, the least they can do is offer something they have financially back to the Jewish Christians. And so I just wanted you to kinda see the craziness of this trip that he's about to take. Uh, So he sends Timothy, he sends Erastus to go on their way and begin this offering process. Uh, what's cool about the New Testament is, and uh, one of the things I love about the book of Acts, is Acts is sort of pulled out as an overview. So you can kind of see a lot of things happening. But down at the surface level, right, on the ground level, there's, there's things going on. On the ground level here is Paul is writing the letter to Corinth, this first letter to the Corinthians. And he speaks about his heart for this offering in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. Look what he says. And we get a little bit more about what's on his mind. We get to learn About chapter 16, First Corinthians says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you. Uh, after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia and perhaps I'll stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened for me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So we get just a little glimpse of what's on Paul's heart. The fact that he's going to spend all this time, all this effort, go back through all these cities to collect this offering and strengthen and establish believers shows his heart, doesn't it? It shows his heart for the Jerusalem church, his heart for mission, his heart for establishing people in the faith. And he mentions here in this this little text, he says that there is a, a wide door. Verse nine, he says, for a wide door of effective work has opened for me. Now, some people think he's talking about that hall of Tyrannus where he had the opportunity to teach for two years. You know, some people are talking about just the movement of God. We're not sure exactly what he's speaking of. But he notice he talks about the good things that are going on in Ephesus, and he also talks about the bad things. (laughs) What does he say? He says, there are many adversaries, a lot of people that are against me, a lot of people that are against the gospel, and we're about to see that in our text this morning. Look with me again in Acts chapter 19, verse 23 says, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is Luke's way of going, this is a big deal for the church, right? This is a very kind way of saying, uh, this is very concerning, right? No little disturbance concerning the way. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged. They were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So last week we we talked about the the, the burning. We talked about this this value of all these books and all these evil things and and the value of those things. The reason Luke is going to mention that value One of the reasons is so he can tell you this story next, right? Or 50,000 pieces of silver. Somebody made those books. Somebody crafted those things. Somebody made money, 50,000 pieces of silver off of that stuff. Now these people don't value it anymore. They've burned it up, and business is bad. People are taking notice to this. Sales are down. It is an opposite reaction to the action that the gospel is is taking place, right? The gospel is moving forward. God is doing amazing work, and an opposite reaction is taking place in the evil that is around Ephesus. So Luke says there's no small disturbance. It's a big deal for the church. And he tells us a story about this guy by the name of Demetrius. He says he's a silversmith. Most likely, Demetrius is sort of the spokesperson or the president of the uh, silversmith guild. Remember when we were in, uh, F, in uh, Ecclesia, the, season, the series we were talking about through uh, Revelation, We talked about these different guilds in these cities. They were very important to the city life and economy and civic structure. And these people who were over these guilds had a lot of power. And this guy must have been maybe a spokesperson for the silversmith guild. It says he stands up before the other silversmiths and the other uh, smiths, if you will. There's coppersmiths, goldsmiths, blacksmiths, all these people who are making things. He says he gathers the like trades together and he tells them, What are we going to do, right? So he begins to share that he has a complaint. Now, what he does is he makes these little silver idols uh, of the Temple of Artemis. We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it a little bit again in a minute. But have you ever been to Disney World, Disneyland, any place that has a really celebrated structure? I'm telling you, the psychographics and, and all the psychology that goes into where the gift store is is brilliant. But... You walk through, almost have to walk through the gift store at Disney World, at the very beginning, right through the train station deal. And when you come back through and you're exhausted and you're like, "Well, the parents are like, I gotta go home," you gotta go back through the gift store. Well, they sell these little trinkets, and some of them are little miniature versions of uh, Cinderella's castle, or and they might be a little miniature version of the train station or some other building at Disney World. And for those of us who, you know, we take our kids and we enjoy that kind of thing on vacation, we might buy one of those and it sits on our kid's shelf. And we go, wasn't that fun? We can remember that sort of thing. But there are some people who take these trinkets and then they set them on a a stand and then they bow down to them and they worship them. We have a neighbor. uh, She's Hindu. She has a room full of idols, and she brings food to those idols and leaves that food. And of course, for some reason, idols don't ever eat it. It's weird. Um, The idols, it just gets moldy and gross, and then she prays to these idols. I don't understand it. I can't make sense of it. If I had a big piece of foil and I were to take it and go, hey, watch this, and ball it up into a ball and then make little ears out of it and then just go, oh, almighty foil. You'd go, uh, I'm not sure about you, right? Exactly. And you should be saying that. It makes no sense. We don't worship what we've created. We worship the one who created us, right? That's what we do. It makes no sense. And yet, that's what this guy does. He takes the foil, so to speak. He takes silver, and he makes this little building that looks like Artemis' temple. and goes, Here you go. Now, some people may just put it on the shelf and go, look, kids, we saw the temple. But some people are going to worship that thing. He's telling these guys we have a problem. Paul is, uh, he's threatening our business and our wealth. Now, I don't know if you notice when when Demetrius is talking, the very first thing he says, let me go back and find it and and read it to you verbatim. He says, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. It's the first thing he says. Have you ever spent time with people? If you ever spend time with people, you're getting to know folks, I challenge you just to not say much. Just kind of sit back and listen. Most of the time we will speak what is most important to our hearts. If you just sit back and listen, you'll probably share. Maybe some of the struggle that you have in your life, or some of the idols you have in your life, or some of the problems, you'll share it. It'll be on your heart. The first thing Demetrius says is Guys, from this business, we're wealthy. Where do you think his heart is? Right? It's in money. In fact, his idol is not Artemis, which is the Greek name of this goddess. Uh, Diana is her name if you were Roman. But his idol is not Artemis, it is money. And he's just shown his hand in speaking this. He says, guys, we got a problem because Paul threatens our business and our wealth, which is really our God. Then he says, oh yeah, and uh, he also says that God's made by hands aren't gods at all. Who'd think, right? Doesn't make sense. Then he says, he also threatens, I better make this sound spiritual, he says, he threatens to rob our great goddess of her magnificence of her world renowned uh, rightful glory see what he's doing is he's he's getting a mob worked up he's getting people angry can you believe paul's doing this to us he's the guy that we've seen in the last couple of months or 3 4 months with the megaphone stirring up trouble come on right? He's that guy. He's not a peaceful protester. He's, he's stirring things up so he can cause trouble. So what he's doing is he's rallying this nationalism, this patriotism of Ephesus. Yeah, that's our goddess. How dare he? Yeah, that's our wealth. We better do something about this. You know what's so awesome about this moment? Pull back just a minute. The gospel of Jesus is changing Ephesus. Do you see that? This gospel Paul is preaching is wrecking our evil economy. Praise God. Man, my prayer as I see that, I go, oh God, that your gospel could move and make the difference in people at South City Church, that we change the evil economy around Southwest Little Rock, around West Little Rock, wherever you live that God begins to make such a a difference in your life that your family changes, your work changes, your world changes because the gospel is taking root where you live, through you. That's what's happening in Ephesus. So when it comes down to it, the gospel of Jesus has disrupted the evil culture of Ephesus. People are losing value for these occultic symbols and books. And they're gaining value for a relationship with Jesus. You know, it just comes down to a battle. We talked about this last week. Lori and I were talking about this this morning. It comes down to a battle, but it's not with Demetrius and Paul. Right? It's a battle of the gods, if you will. This is, we talked about it last week, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. You got a problem with somebody right now? Picture their face right now. That's not who you have a problem with. And listen, I know so many of us have been cooped up in our homes. Some of our marriages are struggling. Some of our relationships at work are struggling. Struggling. And that face of that person that you've been at odds with or that face of your spouse or your children or the face of whatever's going on in your life is so forward in your mind, that's not your enemy. So we don't fight them. We get on our knees where the fight really is. As believers, that's what we believe. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and authorities and spiritual heavenly realms and you can't put up your dukes against those guys. You gotta get on your knees. Husbands, get on your knees. For your marriages, for your children, for your own souls, get on your knees, get on your face and fight this battle. It's the battle of the gods Uh, but we know, right, that Artemis is little g-god, and our god is ginormous g-god. It's not really a battle at all, is it? So I got to give a little background contextually for Ephesus here. Ephesus is um, an an incredible city. I've told you about the temple of Artemis, or Diana. It's an amazing place. You know, Lori and I lived in Nashville for um, 11 years, and in Centennial Park in Nashville is a a replica of the Parthenon. A phenomenal building, and it's huge. Artemis' temple was seven times the size of the Parthenon. Seven times. Huge structure. Huge structure. Incredible. It, it, it had gold leaf, so it would just shimmer in the sun. Now, there were other temples of Artemis around Asia. There were, there were other temples, but this one was what you're going to see in a little bit. The city clerk calls the keeper. We're the keeper. The main temple is right here in Artemis. It's huge. You couldn't uh, ignore this. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, like I said last week. They believed Artemis to be the goddess of the hunt. They believed her to be the, the goddess of fertility. So when women wanted to get pregnant, they would go and worship at the temple and ask Artemis to help them conceive children. When farmers wanted to have a good crop, they would go and say, help my, my soil to be fertile. And they would pray to Artemis. When businessmen wanted to make money, they came and said, help my business to be fertile and grow. She became, or this, this temple became, I should say, so wealthy, so much money, that it became the main banking institution in all of Asia. They literally begin to take deposits and and give loans. The temple of of Artemis. Uh, Daniel Aiken is a and He says, Artemis and the God of money were tied so closely together in Ephesus. Almost the same thing, same person, if you will. She basically becomes the goddess of business. And we can see a little bit of her reach, a little of her uh, possession, if you will, in these men, in Demetrius is, is speaking to. So what's interesting, I say it's a, a battle of the gods, and I think this is just very interesting. So stay with me for a minute and go Greek mythology for just a second to explain something here. So what's interesting is now Paul and his ministry and the Lord is basically they're defeating Artemis, right? They're defeating Artemis, the, the economy's breaking down. Jesus is greater than Artemis, Right? Well, what's interesting, you might remember when we studied in Acts 16, we studied uh, Paul goes into uh, Philippi, I believe, and he finds a uh, little slave girl. Remember this? And she's predicting the future. The reason she's predicting the future, people believe in that area, is because that she's possessed by what's called Python. In Greek mythology, Apollo defeated this big snake-like creature, uh, called Python. And his believers, the people believe in this, they believe that there were these female servants all around Apollo. They would be possessed by the spirit of, of Python and be able to tell the future. So this girl, this little slave girl, indeed was possessed, but she was possessed by a demon, right? Not by Python. Uh, and she's telling the future. And Paul, she, Paul puts up with her for a long time. I don't know if you remember that. He lets her follow him around and she keeps demons will speak the truth. This is Paul, he preaches the gospel of Jesus. Well, that's you got that one right, that's good. Finally, until he just gets frustrated and he goes, Come out in the name of Jesus. And then the demon leaves this little girl, and she can't what? She can't tell the future anymore. (laughs) Which means what? No business for her slave owner. In other words, The ministry of Paul has defeated Apollo and Apollo's twin sister, children of Zeus, Artemis. My point being is this if you have any understanding of Greek mythology here in Greece, and you're paying attention to the ministry of Paul, you are seeing that Paul is slowly dismantling the religion. By the power of Jesus, he is slowly dismantling, defeating their gods. It's incredible. It is a battle, but it's not much of a battle with our God. So here's Demetrius, and I gotta tell you, he's not worried about worship of Artemis, he's not. He's not concerned about that, even though he mentions that. He's most concerned about his wealth. You know, there's a lot of people today who, they don't necessarily bow down to a physical idol, potentially. They bow down to other idols, though. They bow, they bow down to the God of money. A love of money. I think Demetrius was revealing his real idol. You know, when our idols are threatened, we either get angry or we submit. When our idols of our lives, when the things that we care more about than anything, we feel like we can't live without these things, we're either going to submit or we're going to protest or we're going to get angry. That's exactly what the Ephesians did. Acts 19, 29, look here. It says, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocris, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs uh, who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Look at this verse. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great, two hours. Can you imagine? Like, I can barely get through the three or four woo pigs. You know what I mean? Honestly, it's like you get about number four, I'm going, okay, let's finish this up. Two hours. Two hours. What's going on here is we've heard of it before mob mentality. We've seen it on TV in the last few months. It's not a peaceful protest. So these Ephesians are angry. They're frustrated. They want blood. They want to hurt somebody. They literally, the the very violent word, they drag Gaius and Aristarchus. They drag them down the streets to the theater. Now, the theater is still standing in Ephesus. It was built to last, right? It would seat 25,000 people in Ephesus. It's a big deal. So I, I don't know how many people were here this day, but potentially thousands upon thousands of people. And maybe the reason they drug them to the theater is so that they could all fit or so that they could all see the spectacle of whatever bloodlust was about to go down. I don't know. Paul is brave. We've seen that before. Paul is unafraid. He's like, no, those, those are my boys. And he's, I'm going, you know, thousands of people want him dead. He's wanting to go in there and the disciples are holding him back. No, 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 no. Not just the disciples, but this group of people called Asiarchs. Now, what's interesting about the Asiarchs, you've heard of oligarchs, right? The high echelon of people, uh, of wealth, of influence, of power. Same thing in Asia. Asiarchs, these are leaders of guilds. These are leaders of civic life. These are leaders in Ephesus. And the, the text says that Paul is friends with them. I just think that's amazing. And they care for Paul. So they send word, don't go in there, Paul. Now, we've seen this before. We know what happens in this, in this moment. Don't go in there. So they tell Paul not to go into that area. But One of the funniest things I think about this text in verse 32, some, it says in verse 32, some people caught up in uh, mob mentality and they didn't even know why they were there. Ah, get in. What, what did he do? I don't know. I, get in, right? Have we not seen that in the last few months? I am all for peaceful protest in the First Amendment in our country. It's amazing. Dr. King showed us a beautiful example of how to protest, and he shed blood to do it. But when protest turns to murder and the loss of property and evil, where most people don't have a clue or why they're even doing what they're doing, what we've been seeing is not a protest over George Floyd, Right? It's evil. It's a mob mentality. And that's what's happened is even in verse 32, people didn't even know why they, were, why they were doing it, but they were there. Luke even says most people didn't know why they were there. It's interesting. So then the section that's in there that are Jewish, all the Jewish brothers are hanging out together. Alexander, get up there. Get up there, Alexander. So this guy named Alexander, we don't know a lot about him, he gets up, he starts doing his hands. Guys, let me speak, let me speak. They see that he's a Jew and they won't let him speak and they go on for two hours. Now what was Alexander gonna say? Most likely he was gonna say something like, we are not the Christians, just so we're clear, right? We look a little bit like them, we have some similar practices, we are not the Christians, we're the Jews. What's interesting is we also know in scripture that Paul had a a pretty bad enemy by the name of Alexander. Is it the same guy? I kinda think it is, let me show you why. Second Timothy chapter four, verse four. It says Alexander the what? Coppersmith. Isn't that interesting. Who are these group of people that, that have been riled up by Demetrius? Smiths, right? Coppersmiths, silversmiths. Just an interesting circumstantial evidence there. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, Timothy. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. This Alexander is in Ephesus that he's writing about. Timothy, at the time, he is in Ephesus. I kind of think it might be the same guy. But what's funny is they don't even give him a word, and for two hours they go on. Paul has missed death, hadn't he? <laughs> Over and over again, we've seen him beaten to a pulp. We've seen him stoned almost to death and left for dead. And we've seen these close calls in his life. And this is another one as we look in our text still, Acts 19, 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men who are neither sacrilegious or, nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are pro Let them bring charges against another, one another. But if you seek Anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So I want to make sure that we're clear on these characters that, that have been introduced in our story this morning. Demetrius is the guy that riled everybody up, Gaius and Aristocus, they're the ones that were taken into the theater, dragged violently into the theater. Alexander was the Jew that got up but didn't get to speak. And now we see this guy who's the city clerk. We don't even have a name. You know, I've, I've seen too many Westerns when in my mind it says the city clerk and the guy runs out there with little glasses like this, the thing around his arm, and he's like, um, excuse me, you know. Too many Westerns. I don't know, what that's, I'm sure he didn't look like that. Actually, this city clerk had a lot of power. He stood in between... Uh, the Ephesians and the Romans. So there was a reason that the that the crowd quieted down. Did you notice that? They didn't even budge for Alexander, but when the city clerk gets up there, they shut up and they listen. He brings four things to help this riot come to an end. Number one, he says, the cult of Artemis is in no danger. This cult, this uh, we're the keeper. By the way, I'm glad my God has no keeper, right? God has no keeper, but his, his God does, evidently, and they're it, supposedly, which makes sense if you carved it out of stone. He says everyone knows who she is. She's no danger. He also mentions, I thought I would explain this, he mentions uh, about a stone falling from the sky. Well, there was a meteorite, basically, that hit in Ephesus at some point, and the people went, that kind of looks like, I bet that looks sort of like Artemis. She must have sent it to us. Yeah. So they basically took that stone and put it in the temple and worshipped it along with the, the, the uh, God that they carved out of stone. That's what he's speaking of. So he says the, the cult is in no danger. Then he says, these two men, Gaius and Aristochus, they've not done anything. They, they've not... Uh, done anything of sacrilege, which means robbing the temple. They've not been blasphemous of the goddess, which means reviling the goddess. They're innocent. So what, what are we doing with these guys? And then he says, That's, this is not how you deal with issues with people. If you've got a problem, men, uh, with what's going on, then we have a legal system for that. We have courts and we have judges, pro counsels to oversee how this should play out. And if you have a problem, get in a regular court and work this out. And then the fourth thing and final thing he says is this, we're about to be in trouble. See, the thing that that Romans hate more than anything is a mob. In the same way we've seen in the last few months, our government at times, they don't know what to do with a mob. You got police leaving their station. You got part of the city being torn down and burned. I mean, craziness is taking place, and they don't know how to respond. Romans hated rioting. And so the city clerk says, we're about to be guilty of a civil disorder. And it says that he dismisses the crowd. So this was another close call of Paul. You remember uh, we studied when Paul was in Corinth, he had to go before Gallio, which was a pro And he said to uh Galio basically said to the crowd, I don't have anything to do with this. Paul had a close call. Could have shut it and shut him down. Here he goes, and the city clerk, God uses the city clerk to bring peace and allow the word of God, as Luke said, to increase and prevail mightily. So what does it mean for us as I wrap up? What does this text speak to us today? Here's the deal. Paul, he preached the gospel to Ephesus. Ephesus was changing. People were changing. You've changed, hopefully, as a believer in Jesus, because of the gospel in your life. See, this is what the gospel does it identifies idols, it exposes idols, and then your job is to destroy idols. Those people brought things to the fire. They willfully made this choice to say, I don't want this idol in my life anymore, and I don't want it to be in anyone else's life. The gospel identifies, exposes, and destroys idols. And so what are we dealing with today? Because the gospel's still doing that. When when you come face to face with the truth of the gospel, it identifies things in your life and in your heart that are not right. Right? Even now, the Lord may be touching something in your heart and something in your life that you know has been hard to give to him. And yet we have to. How do we respond is the question. It's a disruption. God, I don't want to, I'm comfortable. Exactly. I I, I wanna continue to do this. It's not that big of a deal. I don't watch it that often. I don't do it that often. How do we respond? Do we respond with anger and protest or with submission and obedience? What has the gospel disrupted in you today? What are you dealing with right now that you know is something you need to give to the Lord? Last night I was praying for us and praying for this message and and just saying, God, what do I not see in my life? What are the blind spots in my heart that I don't see that I need people to show me and help me see that are idols and evil in me? Change it, God, and give me the courage to destroy it. Regardless of the fallout, we have to make this choice to serve him. How often do we have people that we see today, they say, yeah, I am follow Christ, I'm a Christian, and yet their lives have no change. There's nothing that's happened It's just words. It's not lifestyle. To people who don't place their faith, their hope in God, they're going to look to something else to place it in. It's going to have an ultimate value. Tim Keller says this. He says, idols are anything in your life. If you're wondering if you have an idol in your life, listen to this definition. He says, idols are anything in your life that are so central to your life that you can't continue to live your life if you lose that thing. If your spouse is your idol and one day you see your spouse in a coffin, you see your savior in a coffin, what are you to do now? How will you live now? If your child is is the God you worship and something happens, what's gonna happen to your life? Jesus speaks about the idol that Demetrius struggled with in Matthew 6, 24, when he said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And yet many of us struggle with that, don't we? Today I think the Lord is saying, what's more important than me? What's more important than me? Kind I remind you, of the first commandment in Exodus 20 is, I shall have no other gods before me. The very first one. A lot of theologians believe that the rest of them are all about idolatry as well. And that's the reason that one's the first one. What are you forming and worshiping? What are you creating and loving so much? Your affection is so connected to that thing that you love it more than Jesus. My prayer is that God would give us the courage to dismantle that thing, to burn it down so that we have a focused, singular affection on him. Pray with me. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Father, for your your word and for this time, God, to look into your word. God, I'm thankful that this study today is timely in a lot of what we've seen in our country. And it's also timely that we can look at Demetrius or we can look at uh, other characters, God, and say, That's me. I'm worried about my wealth. I'm worried about my comfort. I have placed other things ahead of Jesus. I care more for those things than I do my relationship with Him. I'm guilty. Lord, with all my heart, I long to see the gospel of Jesus disrupting our culture. And I know if I long to see it, Lord, I can't imagine how how you long to see it. And the only way that the gospel of Jesus will disrupt our culture is if the people who have been saved by Jesus actually change, they actually confess their sin they actually burn the things that, are, that they've placed before you. They actually come wanting to live authentic lives of knowing and loving and worshiping you. They actually begin to live the way you've called them to live. Otherwise, the culture stays the same. And we got a people who say there's something, but they don't live it. God, forgive us. Drive us to our knees, Jesus. Laying down anything that we would place before you that we might not have any God before you, Jesus. Lord, would you move in us today? Help us now, Lord, to, to deal with you, to speak to you, to engage, to respond to you, to pray, Lord, to seek you, to draw near to you, and your word says you'll draw near to us. Disrupt us, Lord, all day long with the beauty of the gospel of Jesus but give us the courage to surrender and obey, not just get angry and protest. We love you and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.